Amen. Amen. Oh, I just want to stay here. Before we get into the message tonight, just a couple of things. One, this coming Sunday, at the beginning of both services, 9 or 11, whichever one you come to, make sure you're here right on time, because we're going to have a very special introduction that we want to make to our church family this Sunday. And then the next Sunday, the 26th of June, uh, we're going to be having a service dedicated to healing and to be praying for those who need healed. And so I say that ahead of time in case maybe that's you or somebody that you know that you want to invite to one of those two services on June the 26th. Genesis 39 tonight, as we continue our study of the life of Joseph, Genesis 39. Let me say a couple of things up front. When you study the life of Joseph, we are reminded that God is always preparing his people. Even though God gave Joseph this dream, and this dream was about the plan that God had for Joseph that would be fulfilled many years later, God was with him in the entire process of getting him to that point. And that's the way God deals with us. God is always preparing us because only God knows what's next for us. And the wise thing then for us is to enter into willingly and gladly into whatever training God has for us so that we are better equipped to deal with what's coming in the future that only God knows and to surrender and to submit to God's training room, if you will. The second thing I want to say before we get into the chapter tonight is this. In God's training room, God was training and teaching Joseph to be consistent no matter the circumstances. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to get to a place where we are consistent no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. So often as Christians, we can be what I call roller coaster Christians. Way up and way down. And we go like this through life. God wants us to be consistent. God wants us to be a thermostat in the midst of our circumstances, not a thermometer. He does not want our circumstances to dictate to us. He wants us to dictate to our circumstances. And that was Joseph in all of his circumstances. And so when you come to chapter 39, let me first point this out because it's one of the main things in this chapter. And that is that we see God's commitment to Joseph. Notice four times in this passage, and I'm going to point them all out to you right up front here, the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Look at verse 2. That's the first time you see that in this chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. Then go down to verse 3. You see that phrase again. The Lord was with him. Then go over to verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. 
And finally, towards the end of the chapter, at the end of verse 23, the Lord was with him. And remember I said that this phrase does not speak about the omnipresence of God. God's everywhere because he's God. This is about the relational presence of God, the, the presence of favor, the presence of blessing, the presence that strengthens, the presence that comforts, the presence that soothes. And you and I all know that at a very different level, not near to the degree of God, because if you're like me, there's a few people that you have in your life that just being in their presence and being near them strengthens you. Now think about that. If a human being can do that, how much more can the very presence of God, the relational presence of God, do that for us? And so we are taught here that even though Joseph was going through it, because as we shared last week, the story of Joseph is learning to become fruitful through affliction. And the affliction Joseph faced was rejection by his family, false accusation by Potiphar's wife that we're going to see tonight, and the forgetfulness of the cupbearer when he came before Potiphar the first time and forgot about Joseph. And yet, in all of that, the Lord was with Joseph because God gave Joseph a dream, a revelation of the ultimate plan and purpose God had for his life. But that fulfillment of that dream was many years to come. So by giving Joseph the dream when he was still a teenager, 17 years of age, God was basically binding himself to Joseph and saying, look, that's going to happen because I said it was going to happen. But you're going to go through a lot before you get there. And I just want you to know that by giving you this dream, that I'm not just there with you when you get there. I'm with you every single step of the way until you get there. And God relates to us the very same way. Even if God is not giving us dreams and revelations, God has said to us, I'm with you. I will be with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So whatever is out there in our future that is yet to come, that God is preparing us for now, God is also saying, I'm not just going to be there when you get there because I'm always ahead of you. I'm with you now. And I'll be with you the next step you take and the next step you take and the next step you take. And not just in your head knowing, yeah, I know, God's everywhere. No, it's really sensing and being aware that God is with me. The relational presence of God. It's one of the huge things that you see in your study of Joseph. Over and over again. How could Joseph be the young man that he was? Well, one of the reasons is because he knew the Lord was with him. He was with him. So let's start now, beginning in chapter 39, verse 1. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. 
One of the things we shared last week, and I'm just going to mention it again as sort of a reminder, is the story of Joseph also is a story that tells us how did the people of God get to Egypt? Because <laughs> remember, God told Abraham, oh, by the way, your people are going to be in Egypt for 400 years. Well, how do they get there? Joseph becomes the forerunner. He becomes the pioneer. He becomes the trailblazer that goes ahead of the nation of Israel, and he's how they first get there. Then, obviously, he draws his family there, and then eventually they all get there by the time of the Exodus, obviously the book of Exodus, and all of that taking place. So that's an important point to make as well. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Was this an accident? Was this coincidence? Was this just happenstance? No all part of the plan of God. Now listen, God wasn't causing the rejection of Joseph by his brothers, but he used it. God wasn't going to cause Potiphar's wife to falsely accuse Joseph, but he was going to use it. God did not cause the cupbearer to forget Joseph when he came before Pharaoh the first time, but he used it. Romans 8.28 in the Old Testament so that Joseph could be encouraged rather than discouraged and ending up in despair thinking, what in the world is going on? Even though I'm sure humanly at times he felt that way. That he always came back to the fact that God gave me this dream and I know God's word is going to be fulfilled. And so, you know, just like in our lives, it's never a straight line. It's twists and turns and it's here and there and it's everywhere. God never takes us straight to something. And Joseph was realizing that all of this just had to get him to a place where he learned to be consistent no matter what the circumstances. That he was who he was before God, and it wasn't going to matter what circumstances he found himself in. By the way, one thing I want to point out before we go on, because it's going to come up in just a minute, is the name Potiphar means Ra has given. Ra was the Egyptian sun god. That plays a significant part in that even later on here in the next few verses, even Potiphar acknowledges and recognizes and declares that Ra hasn't given him anything. It is Joseph's God, the Lord, who's the one who's giving here. So interesting. It is no accident that Potiphar, who purchased Joseph, is the head of Pharaoh's bodyguard. That's going to come into play later on. Again, God is in the details. Even when we think things are going south for us, God's in those details as well because he's with us. Whether we're on the mountain or whether we're in the pit, and notice verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. He was Joseph's constant companion, as he is with us. He was successful, prosperous, progressing, and lived in the household of his Egyptian master. Ah, folks, this begins to help us reshape and redefine our definition of prosperity and success. As Christians, 
Many of us think prosperity and success is no trials and no problems and, you know, everything just going great for me. No, that's not God's definition of prosperity and success because at this point in Joseph's life, Joseph's been rejected by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, bought as a slave, sold to this guy Potiphar down in Egypt. I don't particularly think that, you know, sounds like a great set of circumstances, and yet God says, oh, he was prospering. And I want to show you something. One of the few times, if the only time, we're going to turn from this. Keep your finger in Genesis 39 and go with me to the book of Jeremiah for just a moment to chapter 29. This is an important verse. Jeremiah 29, something that God told the exiles even as they were going into Babylonian exile, but it applies to Joseph and anybody who faces, say, negative circumstances or bad circumstances or whatever. God is basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing here God's words, bloom where you're planted. You've heard that phrase, right? Notice what God says uh, in verse 7 of Jeremiah 29. Now, the context, again, is this. In verse 4, he says, you're going to get ready and go into exile into Babylon from Jerusalem. I want you to make the best of your situation. I want you to be consistent no matter what the circumstance. They're exiles. They've been ripped from their homes, right? And yet notice what he says in verse 7 to the exiles, verse 7, before they go. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it, for as it prospers, you will prosper. God says, it doesn't matter where you are and what your circumstances are. Through me, you can still be prosperous. Instead of sitting there in exile, sitting, soaking, and souring, and feeling sorry for yourself, and playing the victim, make the best of your circumstances while you're there, learn from where I, why I want you there, and make the best of it, and seek to make that place prosperous, because if you make that place prosperous, that means you're prospering too. Joseph adopted the same attitude. I don't like that I'm in Egypt. I wish I was back with my family. I wish my brothers wouldn't have rejected me. I wish I wouldn't have gotten sold into slavery, but I have, and so I'm now in Potiphar's household. I'm not going to sit here and lick my wounds and feel sorry for myself and, you know, end up in the pit of despair and discouragement. I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to be the best servant that I can be for Potiphar because I realize this principle from my God that wherever he puts me, I'm going to make the best of it, and I'm going to seek the prosperity of those around me, and in that way, I'm going to prosper too. That's the way God wants all of us to live, you see. That we have to come up with the mentality that as others prosper, I'm prospering. That's the way the church works, right? As others prosper, we all prosper because of it, you see. So no matter what circumstance you're in, circumstances that many times we're not going to like being there, but God says, make the best of it and work for the prosperity of others around you and you'll end up prospering too. Back to Genesis 39. 
His master, verse 3, observed or could see or perceive that the Lord was with him. Now think about that. An unbeliever, a pagan, an Egyptian, someone who believed in false gods, even they can see and perceive at times that the fingerprints of God are on certain people. That the blessing of God, that the favor, that God's anointing, it was on Joseph. And that it was the Lord who made everything he was doing successful, prosperous, or profitable. Wow, there's a testimony. Do you think that that's true today, that unbelievers, if we live in a certain way, can see that the hand of God is upon us? Absolutely. Absolutely. We as Christians can see that too, obviously. We can see when God's anointing, when God's hand, when God's fingerprints, when God's using someone to move and, and create a... We can see that. We can sense that if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible even teaches us that even unbelievers can see that if they're open to it. So Joseph found favor, verse 4, in his sight because God can grant us favor even with unbelievers if that's what his will is. And that's exactly what was part of God's plan was Joseph is going to make the best of this, and God's going to use him no matter where he's at, doing whatever he's doing. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight, and he became Potiphar's personal assistant. Now remember, Potiphar was high up in the Egyptian hierarchy. He was the captain or head of Pharaoh's bodyguard, a very important role in Egypt. So Potiphar appointed Joseph overseer of his household, put him in charge, entrusted into his care everything he owned. That's incredible. A Hebrew, a young man, not probably now more than maybe 20 or early 20s. It reminds us too, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. Joseph was a spiritually mature individual, one that even this Egyptian, who was a leader, could tell, I can trust this young man. He's going to do well if I give him my entire household. And so from that time on, Potiphar appointed him over his household and over all that he owned. I want to stop here for a moment because this is a good place to make a couple points about leadership and being good leaders because that's also part of the story of Joseph and even those who surround Joseph. Even Potiphar was showing qualities of being a good leader here. Why? Because number one, notice he wasn't a micromanager. What's a good leader do? A good leader finds someone competent and capable to do the job and then releases them to do it instead of looking over their shoulder all the time. If you have to look over your shoulder all the time managing somebody, then you're not being able to be freed up to do what you should be doing as a leader. Plus, it's not developing that person to be the leader. And if you can't trust them, then they shouldn't be in that position anyway. Find somebody that can do the job and release them to do it. 
In fact, I'm going to skip to verse 6. Notice it says, So Potiphar left everything and trusted everything he had in Joseph's care. He gave no thought to anything except the food he ate. That's cool, right? It's like Potiphar's like, I at least want to know what I'm eating tonight. I want to to be part of that conversation. I, I want to have a little input on what my food is. Other than that, Joseph's handling it. Now, I I say that because obviously, hopefully many of us aspire to be spiritual leaders. And one of the things then that we have to do in order to be good spiritual leaders is we have to be willing to delegate. We have to be willing to find good people to do things and release them to do it and not micromanage. And it also means we've got to be very careful of not being involved in too many things ourselves. Part of, the, part of the rub of many Christians is because they have that servant's heart and they see all these needs, it's like they keep volunteering for more and more things. And it's like, again, as I've shared before, even to our leaders here, you've got to narrow the focus of what you do, even for God, because God wants us to do a few things well instead of many things mediocre. And the only way to do that is to focus on the few things that God wants me to do and do them well, to do them excellently, and then let God raise up other people to take care of these other things. Because if I keep volunteering for more and more, I keep spreading myself out too thin to where I can't do the few things that God wants me to do well. And I'll say this at this point too. If God hasn't given someone Because the Bible teaches God will supply all our need according to his riches. If God hasn't raised up somebody to take that on, whatever that is, then you've got to be willing to say, until God raises up somebody to take that on, i got to let that go. Because God promises me that he will supply my need. And so in God's mind, even though I might think that's a great need right now, In God's mind, that's not a necessary need, at least right now, or else God would raise up somebody to meet that need. God's telling me to use what I've got right now and trust him to raise up somebody to meet those other needs. And as a leader, if you don't have somebody raised up to meet all those other needs, then you don't do it. You do within your power what you have that God has given you to do, and you leave it at that. And that's the leadership principles that we learn from the Word of God. And even a person like Potiphar had that kind of leadership. So notice, it says in verse 5, the blessing of the Lord was on everything that he had, both in his house and in his field. So you see, again, Joseph was prospering even as a slave because he was making the best of the situation and the Lord was with him. Now we come to the end of verse 6. The Bible gives us a very important point about Joseph. Joseph was extremely physically attractive. He was easy on the eyes, as we said. He he was, I think even, I'll say this, he was more than handsome. I believe that there are certain even men that you you could describe as beautiful. I think Joseph was a beautiful man. Now, that obviously comes into the play of the story here, right? Because here's Potiphar's wife, and she sees this beautiful young man 
who's now in charge of everything in her house. And she becomes physically attracted to this young man. And she basically says, have sex with me. And notice Joseph's response. This is important. He says in verse 8, he utterly refused, first of all, saying to his master's wife, look, my master does not give any thought to his household with me here, and everything that he owns he has put into my care. There's no one greater in this household than I am. He's withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Stop there. This shows the character and integrity of Joseph. And notice the reasons why Joseph says, I can't do this. Yes, it's a sin and evil in God's sight. But notice the other two things that he says that we need to pause for a moment on. Notice he says, basically, I know no one's watching. I know he's not micromanaging. He's not looking over my shoulder. No one, in a sense, would ever find out, right? All the more reason why I've earned his trust, I want to keep his trust. He's entrusted me with this. I don't want to break that trust. And then the other incredible thing he says, remember this? He says, you're the only thing that's being withheld from me. Everything else is mine. Now think about that in contrast to our dear ancestors, Adam and Eve, who did just the opposite, right? What was the same thing, right? God said, you can have everything in the garden except that one thing. And what was that that they wanted? The one thing that God said you can't have. Joseph shows this tremendous character in, in basically just the opposite. Says, even though you're the only thing, I'm not going to use that as the excuse to say, well, that's the one thing I can't have, so that's the one thing I'm going to want. This is a young man here. It shows, again, the incredible maturity spiritually and physically that this young man had. And notice something in verse 10. It says, even though she continued to speak to Joseph day after day, he never gave in to her one time. Which also reminds us as Christians that there will be seasons where we will go through trial and temptation and it will continue to peck at us and there will be no relief for a while. And you and I have to be strong enough in the Lord in those seasons to be able to withstand it. Again, it won't last forever, but there will be times where God will put us in that place and we're going to have to have enough strength and, and enough character to continue to withstand that temptation over and over again until the next season comes. Can I say this, and then we'll move on. This also then reminds us, you can't wait till you get in that position and think something's going to kick in, because that doesn't work. See, in a sense, Joseph had developed very strong convictions about things way before he got to Potiphar's house. You, you and I can't wait till we get in that position and then think somehow we're going to figure this out. No, no, we've got to develop those convictions way ahead of time. 
Well, that then takes us back to Joseph's childhood, right? That shows how incredible Joseph was as a child, as a teenager, to develop those kind of convictions at such a young age. So you know the rest of the story, basically. I, I can go through that pretty quickly. She continues to go after him, and he says no, and finally he runs out of the house. She grabs his garment. She's embarrassed. She's humiliated. She goes to the you know, one of the bodyguards around there and says, you know, basically, he's raped me. And she falsely accuses Joseph of this. So her husband Potiphar comes home. She gives him this false story about Joseph and what happened there. And it says, when his master, verse 19, heard what had happened, he became furious. He took him and he threw him in prison. Now notice something very important in verse 20. Notice where Joseph was thrown into prison. This is also detail that God is in control of, which is, again, why it's no accident that Joseph was in Potiphar's house. What's the prison Joseph is in? Not in some general prison, like just another criminal or some offender. Notice, notice where Joseph goes. He goes to the king's prison, where royal prisoners were confined. Why is that important? because that's where the cupbearer and the baker from Pharaoh are going to end up. See how God is in all of this? We, we, we think that somehow when, when we're, you know, in these bad situations, like God doesn't see and God doesn't know and God's not in control, he absolutely is. He just wants us to trust him in the pit and in the prison and through affliction and realizing that we can be consistent, we can be who we need to be and who we should be at all times regardless of our circumstances. And we don't have to have our circumstances dictate to us, we can dictate to our circumstances. See, God one day was going to make Joseph the second most powerful person on the planet. And in order to do that, God had to train Joseph and teach Joseph and, and take him through a lot so that when he finally got there, he could handle it and he could do well. Now, none of us likes the process that God takes us through to get us to where God wants us to be, right? But that's why God needs us to trust him. Because God has greater things in store for us, but we've got to be willing to go through God's training camp. And that was exactly what Joseph was doing. So he was there in prison. But again, notice verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph, showed him favor or kindness, granted him favor now in the sight of the prison warden. It's like everywhere this young man ends up, guess what? He's prosperous. Guess what? God's granting him favor. Everywhere he goes, his life is like, we would say, this poor young man. What more could happen to him? And yet the Bible tells us he's prospering. Because God's definition of prosperity is different than our definition of prosperity. See, that's part of the problem even in the church today. Prosperity has become temporal, material, physical things. Well, we wouldn't say Joseph was prosperous and successful at all based on temporal material, physical things, that's not prospering. Yeah, 
You know why he's prospering? Because he's making spiritual progress. And because he's being a blessing everywhere he goes, because he's being blessed, he's blessing others. And, and, and everywhere he goes, he's making the best of his circumstances. He's not sitting there feeling sorry for himself, drowning in self-pity. He's doing the best that he can wherever he lands. And that's impressive to people. And, and people are taking note of that and, and not just you know, giving him little, they're making him the leader. Everywhere he goes, he ends up being a leader, which is exactly what he is doing in prison. Notice, he was in charge, verse 22, of whatever they were doing. Everywhere this young man went, he was learning leadership because of his attitude. I've shared this with you before. Our attitude, not our aptitude, determines our altitude. That's Joseph. Joseph always had the right attitude, even towards his negative circumstances. The warden, verse 23, just like Potiphar, did not concern himself with anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him, and whatever he was doing, the Lord was making successful or prosperous, prosperous or profitable. Wow. What a testimony. Everywhere this young man went, he was a blessing. Even in pits and prisons and even through being rejected and through false accusation and through next week being forgotten. Through it all, Joseph was fruitful. What can we take from the story of Joseph? Let me go back to the beginning of the message just real quick in wrapping this up. God was preparing Joseph through all this. God is always preparing us because he alone knows what is in our future. And he's taking us through his training camp in order to get us ready for what is coming or what he wants to see in and through our lives. Second, God wants to teach all of us and train us, like Joseph, to be consistent regardless of our circumstances. Not to be a roller coaster up and down Christian, but to be one that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we, like Joseph and like the exiles that God talked to in Jeremiah 29, verse 17, make the best of it and work for the prosperity of those around us knowing that we will prosper if they prosper. And finally, we need to grow in our awareness of the relational presence of God in our life. God is always with us. He's close. And he's there to strengthen and to encourage and to do everything for us in each and every step of the way, all the way through our lives. Are we aware that God is always, always with us. If you take nothing else out of here tonight, know that God is with you. I mean, my goodness, the songs that we sang tonight. Sing those songs tonight and in the morning. 
Waymaker, defender, greatness. I mean, all of those remind us that our God is with us every step of the way. Put your name in there. The Lord was with Joseph. Well, guess what? The Lord's with you, too. God, we thank you tonight for your abiding presence in our life. A presence, God, that you will never take away from us. A presence that is always there. May we be more aware of your presence. And may your presence, God, make such a difference in how we approach our circumstances. Realizing, God, that nothing in our life, as we are your children, happens by accident. It is all part of your process, your plan, your preparation for your children. You take us through your training and your teaching so that we, Lord, can accomplish all that you created for us on this earth to accomplish. And so that we would be prepared for everything, God, that's going to come our way in the future. God, if we're not willing to follow you, then we're not going to be ready and we're not going to be able to accomplish all that, Lord, you have in mind for us. So, Lord, may we be like Joseph, and no matter where we find ourselves in this life, sometimes, Lord, in the pit, sometimes in the prison, whatever affliction and circumstances we go through, God, may we be consistent because we are simply trusting and resting in you. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. God bless. We'll see you next week.